playing through. Welcome back to another episode of Unapologetically Black, Never Broken, Always Empowered. I am your host, Brittany, and I am joined by my co-host, DeAndre. How y'all doing? And we are joined by, I have to do a quick count. I'm like, one, two, three, four, five, five amazing guests. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all for coming and joining us this evening. Um, so we always start our podcast with a mental health check-in. I think it's important that we we talk about it just as a community. So I'll start with DeAndre. How's your week been? How are you feeling? Uh, the week's been a little rocky. Been a little rough time at the job, but outside of that, um, everything else is all right. That's beautiful. For me, we're kind of we're in a transitional period in life. So I'm in a constant state of kind of stress and anxiety, um, mm. to be honest. <laughs> That's just the reality. So it's just, it's been, it's been a week. It's spring break. We've been doing a lot of going to the park just to burn out energy of three children. So <laughs> a lot of going to the park and uh, just trying to enjoy the weather and some vitamin D. Uh, we will start with you, Len, if you could just introduce yourself and then let us know how you're feeling and how your week's been. Okay, hi, my name's Lynn Sturdivant. I am a life coach and I work with relationshipcoachpro.com. How's my week going? Nice. I actually rolled my windows down today and (laughs) turned my music up as loud as it could go and enjoyed. I'm in North Carolina, so uh, it, it got up to like 80 five today or something like that wow. and uh it's, it's it's just really super nice outside so i'm just getting outside getting my vitamin d yeah we hit 75 and it was like all right let's get out <laughs> so i get it all right and miss pumpkin spice how are you feeling I'm doing great blessed and highly flavored okay. <laughs> <laughs> and if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself um, a little bit. Um, I'm a healthcare professional by nature. Um, so yeah, it's been the last two days have been very rough because Monday and Tuesday is the busiest days because everybody wait to those days to want to be seen because they had all the fun during the weekend. Right. So yeah, it's been reality like, sets in. <laughs> so I can't complain. I love what I do, and yeah, that's a little bit of me. Awesome. Thank you for being here. And Rod, how are you? Uh, I'm doing good. It's, it's early in the week for me, so I'm, I'm doing well. I can't complain. The weather has been interesting here in Southern California. It was 
97 on Saturday and then it rained yesterday and now it's 85. So, <laughs> wow. um, so it's been an interesting couple of days, um, but, but life is, is amazing right now. And I can't complain. Um, I am a husband, father and strength conditioning coach. Um, and I do some, oh, nice. some online personal training on the side as well as some life coaching, uh, working with fathers, uh, mostly new and expecting fathers on the transition from manhood to fatherhood. Nice. That's what's up. All right. <laughs> and John, how are you? I think you're muted. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> Huge mistake. Always. I know better than that. Um, my name is my name is John, uh, and I'm doing well. I'm I'm having a a pretty good day considering. Um just got the boys off the bed. We all getting settled in around here, which is fantastic, and uh, having a, a pretty good, uh, pretty good evening so far. So, um, I am the host of Daddy Confessions podcast, and uh, in the DMV area. And so the weather was nice here as well. I know everybody talking about the weather. We were outside. Actually, did my Good Samaritan deed for the day. I, uh, came across a, a, a woman who was stuck out in the road in her car and I, and I helped her out today. So that kind of, you know, felt good about that being able to help somebody um, as well. So. Brittany, I think you Brittany, muted now. You muted. <laughs> oh! I was. <laughs> well, Jamal was taking the trash out and I was like, let me... <laughs> In case you can hear something. Um, I was saying I'm also in the DMV area. So okay. uh, where are you located? So I'm out in I'm out in Prince George's County. So like I am as well. So oh, okay. cool. we're neighbors. Because yeah. I feel like anything in PG County is like 20 minutes away. Right, 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 right. Minimally. So <laughs> awesome. Um, the DM, how are you? Welcome. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Um, everyone, I am the DM from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I am current uh, podcast host and producer of It's Sunny in the Shade podcast. I'm also a single father, uh, very black, very brilliant, and also LGBTQ. Um, been a single father for my 19-year-old son since he landed on Earth. So um, uh, those are the things I can offer. I'm also a uh, owner or executive director of a nonprofit here for black LGBTQ people in the Memphis area. Uh, we're pushing off a national campaign as well, uh, doing work around that. We were able to help 1,700 families during COVID uh, and doing some great stuff down here, moving and shaking. That's awesome. That's super awesome. I've never been to Tennessee, but it sounds like you're doing big things out there. So, Well, you Good know. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Charles. Not sure if you're actually there. Okay. Oh, oh we have movement. Hello. How are you? Kids, how y'all doing? We are well. We are well. How are you? How have you been? What you been up to? Not much. Just like I said, uh, working, being a dad. That's about it. Trying to um help make things easier for Mo. You know, so since she's big pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And entering the heat because you are you guys are out in New Orleans, so that's like the yeah. worst time to be as far along as she is. So I'm praying. And it for randomly her. started storming out of nowhere, so I don't know. Certain areas around us have got flash flood warnings, but we good for right now. 
Oh, I hope you guys are staying safe because I know it's like always hurricane season. So I know. things take a left. <laughs> and real quick, in Memphis, it's 82, but windy. So we're getting some of that from New Orleans. Mm. Well, I apologize for that. <laughs> Bring it on, man. Knock all the trees over. Awesome. Well, just in time for your introduction. Hi, how are you? Hi, good. <laughs> Fashionably late. Um, we actually, I was, we go through and we do a mental health check-in with everyone. So checking in on how you're feeling, what your week's been like, and if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, that is, thank you for that question. I am, so my name is Deleste. Um My week has been tumultuous is the word I would use to describe it. So it's been kind of up and down. It's been super productive um, creatively. I've, I've gotten a lot of work um, for my projects done, but emotionally it's been exhausting because yeah. my baby is teething. Uh -huh. And he has a fever and all the discomfort and all of that. And um, and he's also crawling. Um, <laughs> and lately he has not been sleeping. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so um, it's just being a working mom, like full-time mom, but also full-time creative is hard. So yeah, thank you for asking. Yeah, of course. Your mental health is important and it is it is hard. And that's why we have this platform so that we can talk and it's like Tuesday night therapy. So um but I remember that. I remember those days. I have a 2-year-old, two, two and a half. So we're oh, just wow. we're really just climbing out like mm. I breastfed for 19 I... months. So we're just I feel like we're getting out of the trenches. So you got this, girl. You got this. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's beautiful, though. So I'm appreciative. I'm appreciative. And you get to, and to watch them grow. Like, you don't get this time back. So mm. as hard as it is, it's worth it. Well, thank you. Uh, so today's episode is about absentee Black fathers. Um, and today's the first time, like I was telling our guests, that we've reached out to get input from other people. Just because this is, I mean, it's such an important topic and, and all the topics we cover for the most part, unless it's the serial uh, March Madness, <laughs> but all the topics we cover for the most part are very important, but this, it, it affects every part of your life, right? If you're, your parents and the way that you're raised affects everything. So we reached out because we wanted to hear the stories and the opinions of other Black people and other voices that weren't just within our immediate community. So we do appreciate you guys for coming out and, well, signing in and being here with us this evening. So I guess the first question I'm going to ask, um, so do you guys believe that the concept of Black fathers being absent is a stereotype? Or is it a reality? Because a lot of times you hear it being talked about as the stereotype of, but we know, I feel like we all know someone who was raised without their father or knowledge of who they were. So starting with that question, um, we can start with Lynn or if you okay. want to hop on. Uh, I would say that that assumption is probably based in reality. Um, 
86% of black children grow up without a biological dad in the house. So that is based in looking at statistics about it. Um, it's, it's a very real phenomenon that is taking place in the black community. Absolutely. Um, and, and there is a difference between absentee and just your father not being in the household because all of that's included in that statistic, right? The biological father being in the household. But I mean, like you said, it's still very much so based in reality. Does anyone else have an opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, I would I would say that it's the the reality of it is is that if you look at statistics on everything from uh, you know, deaths in the black community to incarceration, uh, you can't help but to also see a correlation between that and fathers being in the home right uh we also talking about for many of us growing up in the 80s uh, with the uh crack ep epidemic and how that affected um the the homes as well right not just for fathers not being available but also in some cases mothers not being available either so uh, a lot of that it factors in uh, to what we have seen as a uh, absentee father uh, in the home. And, you know, even to go even a little bit further than that, you think about how often uh, fathers had to go away in order to take care of their kids. Um, and so in some cases, it wasn't that they were they left their families is that they had to go uh, and work elsewhere because that's where the work was. So. Mm -hmm. I agree. Does anyone else have anything on the question? Yeah, um, I, I want to jump in. Who's did I skip? No, no oh. go for it. Jump so, in. <laughs> um, the point in and the point that John had made with fathers having to go find work. I actually had to do that twice living in Memphis. Uh, what we do understand that nationally, people are not getting paid a living wage. And that's uh, that's always been an issue in the uh, black community, I believe. But I think it was absolutely exasperated as the economy, you know, got stronger and companies got richer, but the employees did not. Uh, so I relocated to Nashville, Tennessee at one point just to be able to take care of my son. I even relocated from Memphis all the way over to Los Angeles, California and lived there a couple of years just to make money to send back and take care of my kid. Uh, so I totally understand that point. And I think that uh, growing up myself, I grew up in subsidized housing here in Memphis. My father, he was on crack the whole time. So when you raise that point about the crack epidemic is real. Um, and I lived that experience. My dad was always accessible. He was always on a high corner. I can go and talk to him and he'll see everybody on the high corner. That's my son. High or not. That's my son. He's going to be a Supreme Court judge. Well, that didn't happen, but it was great that, you know, my dad, he he definitely gave me a shot of uh, self-esteem and uh, acknowledged me and let me know that he cared and loved me, even though he wasn't able to actually provide. Well, I can, I'll go next. Um, I'm actually from a Caribbean background. So when we, you guys speak about being absent, like our parents are physically there at times and when i mean physical i mean like as far as being in our home but they work three or four or five jobs to maintain the household and the kids so they're not really there if that makes mm -hmm. sense um so mm -hmm. that was my experience my father was not i'm the only child with a different father 
So my father was not present, but I did have a really great stepfather that kind of stepped in to play that role. Hmm. But as I got older, obviously, you know, we always want to know where we come from, what our roots was. My father chose the streets, you know, hanging with his homeboys and gambling over his own child. So that was my experience. I was going to say, I think statistically, yes. But I think there's levels to absenteeism. Like there's there's like completely absent. There's like, you know, they're present <laughs> in the house, but emotionally absent. Um, there's like you say, you had to go away and take care of business in order to be. So you're not physically there, but your heart is there. Like there's different levels of it. Um, but statistically, yes, I think it, it, there's some truth to it. Um, but I don't think it's like even even in the statistic that you gave, you like biological fathers. There may be a stepfather like like pumpkin spice just mentioned you had a stepfather that was present um so there it's all kind of like i don't know like a roller coaster of fatherhood i guess you know what i mean where guys are, oh, are there and then they're not um you know they're, they're kind of peekaboo they, they step in for a little bit and they step out or you know different things are happening in their life at different time my father was like that when i was younger um, and then as I got older and became a teenager, he was more available and I got to see him more often. But as a child, he was kind of in and out. Like I was super excited to see him, but then he would disappear for however long and then he would pop back up. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess I, my, the only thing I add to that is just, you know, there there are levels to absenteeism, I think. I agree with that, too, Rod. Um, and, and just to you know rebuttal with that, I definitely had a host of uncles. My mom's the one girl out of. 10 uncles that my grandmother and grandfather had. So I had, I, I had a daddy I could choose from, but of course <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to go see my dad, you know, whether right. he was high or not. So I think you're absolutely right with your point in, in my opinion. I agree. I think for me, I, I'm a child of divorce. So my parents were separated when I was eight and then officially divorced when I was 18. So my father wasn't physically in the house. I did see him. Um, it was the favoritism that was blatant in my household. So it's just my little sister and I, she's a tomboy. So it was, he would show up to all of her things and not be there for my plays or be there for whatever girly thing I was doing. Um, it took a while, and honestly, my relationship with my father is still very professional, it feels. It, it, it's not very emotional. I recently lost my mother, and when I lost her, I was like, I realized I didn't even know my dad's like favorite color. Like, I just don't know anything about him, although he's always been there. And um, I was, I told him, I was like, I want to I wanna get to know you. I want to have this relationship, you know, for my kids. And it's just not the same. I talk to my mom every single day and I talk to my dad once a month, even with the additional effort of me trying to, the, the emotional connection just was not there. Uh, it's sad. I love him, but it, the relationship's not there. So I, I definitely agree on the different levels. Meanwhile, my husband grew up without his father at all. He did not know who he was. We, we met four years ago and he met his father on my couch so we just are now beginning to have a relationship with him and we'll talk about it a little bit more but it for him it was i don't need you anymore but my children do so if you're going to be here be here for them and be the best grandfather you can be and he has so we're and that's how we're healing through that so Whoa. that's 
I've seen two different spectrums just from my life and then his story. So, yeah. Um, to follow up with everybody, well, follow up and somewhat agree with what everybody was saying. There's um, far too many outliers to give a definite yes or no on that one because I knew my dad for a little bit, but he became an absentee father on uh, my eighth birthday. And he was absentee to three families from me, my sister, and my brother. And um, I didn't see him again until that was the last time I saw him conscious. The last time I saw him was when I was 19 on his deathbed. So in a way, he helped me heal because I um, ended up holding a grudge towards him because he lied a whole bunch. Ended up hating him, but once he passed away, I ended up forgiving him and letting all that stuff go. Well, you guys are, I mean, it's interesting because I feel like so much of what you guys are saying is a amalgamation of like everything that I have dealt with with my father. And uh, my father is is still alive. He left when I was two. Mm -hmm. Um, He has been in and out of my life over those years. Um, it wasn't until adulthood that I found out that I had, uh, I think it's nine siblings, um, from three different, from three different women. And, uh, part of me was always upset that my younger siblings were raised by him. Mm-hmm. But then I realized in finally meeting them, the difficult life that they had with him because of drugs because of the crack epidemic, because he was, you know, married to a woman and they were both addicted to crack and they were raising these, you know, seven kids, but they were not being raised by their father. Right. Right. Um, And so I'm like, in some ways, maybe I lucked out. Right. Because I didn't have (laughs) I didn't have to to deal with that part of him um, in those moments. And and to what you said, Brittany, about (laughs) you know how your husband is trying to have his father be a good grandfather mm-hmm. to the kids i have tried that i find that very hard it's very transactional for me to be in his <laughs> in his like be with him in the I same space right. um i try not to have conversations about my childhood with him because nothing good comes out of those conversations mm-hmm. uh and so it's almost like i would love to for him to just be with the boys alone but i can't leave Trust him alone that. with the boys right <laughs> right yeah, and it sounds like i mean not to get too personal but that he has so much more healing to do too and it's not just your journey and he's not ready for that relationship so hopefully it is something he can come to terms with before the time's up to be honest um, for your children, because that's the most important part. Like, we know how our relationships affected us and how we're trying to heal as adults to be able to be good parents. Because when you don't have that good parent example, what are you basing it off of? <laughs> so, um, yeah, <laughs> I am praying that that happens. I want to um, add on to that, but I'm sorry I'm not in the camera. Um, I agree with what he said, and I resonated with it because, like, my dad was never there. And, like, my mom, she was, like, on drugs and stuff. So she was, like, physically around, but she wasn't there in every other aspect. So, like, my grandma, my aunties, cousins, and, like, my older siblings raised me. And they were young, too. Like, they're only 10 years older than me for the most part. 
And it was just rough because it was like, I was young, but I was like kind of old enough to where I was aware of what she was doing and what was going on, even though I didn't understand the severity at the time. I just knew like, you know, that was something that shouldn't be happening or I shouldn't be like in this situation of witnessing. And it was a lot of things that I wish I would have been like guarded and shielded from. And like, because I didn't have any ties like to my father or anybody outside of like my immediate family, it was just, you know, hard to have any type of connection with anybody if it wasn't like I said, aunts, you know, grandma, grandpa, siblings and stuff like that. So like growing up, I had got to a point with my mom, like I had resented her, especially when I went into the system, because, you know, who would give up their child for adoption or just let them go? And um, as I got older, you know, I was able to understand and, you know, kind of see from her point of view, like where she was and what she could have been going through to where it was easier for me to accept it and forgive her for that. But it's just hard to like leave her around my kids like unattended. I'm just not ready for that. I don't know if I ever will be. And because like she has gotten better, but she still does like similar things. That's just something that I can't let go. Did anyone else want to share? <laughs> um, I would like to share. I, every time I start to talk, someone else says something that's like, wow, yep, that's true for me too. Wow, that sounds like my experience too. Wow, I didn't even think about that, but that's also true. So it's super interesting hearing so many different people from different backgrounds say things that I lived through and experienced and hadn't even realized it Indeed. to an extent. Like some of the things that you guys said triggered me because it was like, oh, wow, that was a realization. Like I got more work to do than I thought. <laughs> I need to go talk to my therapist about this. Um, and yeah, that's, I wonder out of all of us, like raise your hand if you're in therapy. Okay. Cause there's a lot of people I talk to who have a similar experience and have been traumatized in a lot of ways and have so many barriers like regarding getting help, whether it's mm -hmm. emotional barriers, financial barriers, cultural, like, you know, any type of socioeconomic thing. Like what if you don't have transportation or you don't have a computer to do, or a phone to do teletherapy or, I don't know, I'm just like, black people need therapy. We have a lot of trauma Absolutely. to unpack. Like that, that should be like a mandatory, <laughs> you know, part of the black experience toolkit mm -hmm. or something. Should come along with reparations, I feel it. Free therapy <laughs> and reparations. <laughs> <laughs> I think the whole when you say barrier, because I am a healthcare professional and I am in like in a rural area, underserved population area, majority um, African Americans and Haitian immigrants and Jamaicans, etc. Uh, the biggest issue is the stigma when it comes to us trying to get the help when we speak on mental health. I think once we can get bypass the stigma associated with it, I think we'll do a lot better as far as seeking. I'm getting more younger people asking me to send them to see a specialist 
Absolutely. Where before it wasn't like that. So when they do come in and you got to kind of like applaud them, like, you know what? I am so glad that you realized that you need to see someone. And I'm proud that you came and asked me for that help. Mm-hmm. So I think once we can do that and us being so non-judgmental among each other, we can go a lot further when we speak on mental health for sure. It's judgment it's- and it's pride. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It. It's interesting that you say that because I was um, a Charlotte Mecklenburg schools educator um, and now I'm running a nonprofit and the nonprofit organization, we changed our mission completely to be focused on like mental health and just overall social emotional, uh, social emotional wellness, because we realized how many of our, we started off as a media literacy program and we shifted gears during the pandemic because we realized how many of our kids were having like mental health crises um, during that time period, like the isolation, the anxiety because of the civil unrest in the city like in mm-hmm. in Charlotte here in Charlotte it was oh, yeah. a lot here and back home um in Richmond Virginia and so i had kids calling me crying you know texting me freaking out and i had kids going to protests being out in the streets and everything and that by itself is a lot to unpack right right so, absolutely um, we shifted gears completely to focus on on that because I realized at the heart of every program I designed or in every event we did, that's that was the heart of it. Like it was, it was like checking to make sure that they were okay <laughs> because we have a lot of reasons to not be okay. So somebody has to tend to it. Um, even our podcast, um, which is how I found out about. Uh, this podcast, uh, blocked. We talk about our mental health journeys. Um, my partner is a therapist, and my other partner, um, he's in therapy as well. And so, we openly talk about our mental health because we want to destigmatize getting help. Like I talk, I talk to my students as if it is completely normal. Like, oh yeah, my therapist told me the other day that I really need to stop. Uh, personalizing people's stuff like and I say it casually I say that's my home girl blah 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 blah. to and and now they're like they don't picture a therapist as being some old white dude right (laughs) you know ironically I actually took advantage of having therapy and I had an old white dude (laughs) <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's mean, funny, but they're the worst like they, they can just be the worst sometimes but, but here's the thing we were far from the identity spectrum like old white dude and a black dude you know and so mm-hmm. it actually he he was really helpful he was able that's to not weird. have bias okay. you know in helping me sort out some of my thoughts at the time but i did want to uh you know echo what you were saying like with my nonprofit here in memphis I had to do the exact same thing. My first piece of le- uh, legislation, now I'm in legislation here, but my first pre- piece of programming that I did was called the Conclave. And that was where people could come together and just talk stuff out. And the second piece of programming that we had to do was actually called Stress, Swerve to Stress, uh, where people could actually call in and talk to someone who you know was a mental health professional and give them free counseling. Because that's the other thing, the people who are, awake and want that that help is the barriers I see is definitely the cost 
It's also, you know, the, the stigma that they're still having to fight through the internalized stigma. Also the external stigma, because let's be real, the healthcare community still treat black bodies like, okay, you're made of Teflon, like take a lick and keep on ticking. Uh, so I've experienced, you know, from one end of the spectrum to the other in a lot of those ideas, but I really echo what you were saying. Like it's absolutely needed, uh, especially for our folks. It, well, and then you add on to that, like me as a, a black queer woman in Charlotte, I could not find to help with like have, having my son um, dealing with postpartum depression, dealing with trauma, dealing with losing loved ones, could not find a black psychiatrist in my city. Mm -hmm. I had to look elsewhere. So, yeah. And then on top of that, I couldn't even find a, a queer, a black queer therapist that was especially not a woman. What? Right. Like, and so <laughs> it's funny because one of my partners is a female, a black queer therapist. And it's like, <laughs> it's like she's where were you? you that I know. Right. Um, <laughs> and she can't be my therapist, clearly. So it's just it's really interesting because there's so many levels to it. And I want somebody that looks like me. So I have a have less of a barrier in communication and mm -hmm. empathy um, is one less thing to explain. And then tack on a queer identity or, you know, being a woman to that. It's so hard. It's hard to find your, per your person in that. It's hard mm -hmm. enough taking that step, being consistent with it. Right. And that copay is not always easy on, on the, you know, the purse. So yeah. anyway, sorry. That's no, fine. It's funny because so it's funny that you say that because we did an episode on just the law, the legal system in the black community. And my sister is a um, queer black lesbian, like, and she dresses, she wears suits. Like she's more on the masculine dressing side, um, short haircut, wears tattoos or has tattoos, a whole sleeve, and, and she's a lawyer. And she's like, I feel like I'm the only one. Because, like, in of all lawyers, like, I'm the only one. And people look at her, um, and the judges look at her like she's she's there, you know, as the plaintiff or the defendant, and she gets crazy looks. Or she's told, you know, are you Mr. Lofton? And she's like, no, I'm a, I'm a woman, says Danielle. Like... So I get it. And that's, but it's so important that we are breaking into these spaces so that we can see ourselves in the, and, and we're breaking down the stigmas of it. Um, I feel like education, because it's so hard to come by within black, you know, the black communities and like good educations and learning about how to get to these positions. So you just kind of settle at where you are just to make a living. Um, when you see people who look like you breaking down those barriers, they don't seem as high or as scary. So this is the generation where we're breaking in there. The millennials are busting down these doors and hopefully everyone behind us <laughs> floods from there. So all we could hope for, right? Um, as far as growing up, um, what hardships did you face due to your father's death? I know, right? It's it's a loaded question. That is a, that is initially everyone. There's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> 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 Daddy, Donna's day was horrible. 
<laughs> Listen, you see me, like I told y'all, I am a Haitian American. Okay. So I'm not sure if anybody on this platform is have any little bit of idea what it is to be raised in a home of that caliber. It's like, it's my way, no way. You can't ask no questions. You just do what they say. The emotional thing is not even there at all. Mm -hmm. They'll financially take care of you. They'll make sure you go to school. They'll do any out, but the emotional part is not there. And everyone in my community, that's all we ever speak of. You guys are great parents. We love you guys and everything. But that emotional, man, I mean, these people will call you everything but the child of God and expect for you to respect them as a human being. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, my, I can go all day. Like, my, my friends tell me their own parents call them whores and all kind of shit. Like, who does that? Right. You know what I mean? Like, and then for me to sit there and be able to have a decent conversation with you, Let's not talk about the abuse or how they used to beat the hell out of us. Man, my mom used to beat me with iron. She used to jump, fist punch me. I mean, this lady used to beat me like I was a, 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 another female on the streets that she didn't like. Mm -hmm. So if we talk about that and just let that sink in, it it was horrible. You know, I, I was a bad I was a bad kid growing up. Like, I didn't go to juvie or nothing, but I was, like, very angry. I, like, anything you would say, like, let's go. I'm ready to fight because I would have so much anger in me. Right. You know what I mean? And that was me. And now I'm not like that. As you guys can see, I got my little hat on. <laughs> you know, I did the whole self-love journey. I wrote, I self-published a, a self-love workbook, and that is the movement. Like, I'm so in love with myself. I healed myself. I told my mother how I felt. And my father, unfortunately, passed away. We didn't have that conversation because of the illness he had. He wasn't able to speak. He was on a machine for quite some time before he passed away. But um, I'm, I'm okay where, where I'm at in life. And everybody should be able to have the opportunity to heal all the childhood trauma that we've endured. That's my, I'm done. <laughs> Pumpkin, just to correct you on one thing. Um, my mom said it a ton of times coming up, but you were never a bad kid. You were just misunderstood, as you just previously explained. I like that. Thank you. I was misunderstood. <laughs> I, I, I she say, was ready to fight. Okay. <laughs> I, I would say that um, one of the interesting things to me is that it was, you know, I, I look at my mother who, you know, did what she could. So from my perspective, like, yeah, I got, I got whoopings. I got, you know, cursed out i got in trouble but my mother and i and it's not i, I sometimes i stop myself and i'm like okay am i like just explaining explaining away like all the trauma that i have and the reality of it is i'm not explaining it away i know i was i had plenty of trauma growing up yeah. from my mother but i also know that and this is what i tell my son my oldest son right now we talk about this a lot like hurt people hurt people right so she never dealt with her trauma right and so she did what she thought was parenting because that's what she knew and she didn't have you know i talk about it on my podcast the idea of how important it is to have two parents involved that's why it's and that's why it's impossible for one person to make a child because it really takes two people to have enough strength and power and be able to talk to each other to then be able to communicate out 
all of the emotions that they have and not like heap that onto the child, right? Right. That and that's one of the things that happens when there's only one parent in the house. You get so many emotions that get heaped onto that child, whether it be love, sometimes incorrectly so, right? You, like the the son is like the husband, or it, or it's hate, or it's it's like all kinds of emotions just get heaped on a child. And when stress. that happens, stress, know. all of that. Kids Thank don't you. Don't even know what that is. Exactly. And so all that <laughs> stuff gets heaped onto the child. And the child has to internalize that and then as they get older they they feel like they're supposed to do the same thing and that's something to be unlearned uh in that in that cycle and we try to you know that's what i'm going through now i'm trying to unlearn that i look at my wife and how she grew up she grew up with both parents in the house um you know her father had problem with alcoholism early on but that was something that he was able to god willing you know get released from and so the later years in his in their home was two parents taking care of the kids and it it seemed a lot like what i would have loved to have seen at, in a in a house growing up and so i looked to her parents i'm like man okay we can at least be like that right you know <laughs> and that was something that i try to do with my kids and sometimes it works and sometimes i find myself falling back into being that hurt person who sometimes you know takes it out and i'm like really working through that in therapy like not taking it out on my kids like not yelling at them not you know uh, raising my voice if i don't have you know like all those kind of things so no when it happens it's just important to apologize and like you know what i mean mommy lost her temper i'm so sorry because it's going to right (laughs) it's so frustrating uh my mom she 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 was hardcore only girl out of you know nothing but boys and like she didn't apologize like to this very day she has not apologized for anything uh she was like i said what i said so (laughs) uh get over it but i think you know in order for me to heal myself with all of the stuff that did happen that where i felt like uh need to be work on i did have to do that work myself and i did have to forgive her even though she wasn't you know she wasn't trying to hear none of the the earth talk she was like, I don't know, you all in your feelings. Like, you need to settle that, like, man up, go on about your business. Um, and I was just like, it, it couldn't get through. But um, I would say that I was the last of five kids, and the stuff that she did do, it wasn't nearly as severe as my older brothers and sisters got. So it was a little bit, it was that trauma. And then when she finally reached out and touched me, it wasn't good. So uh, I kind of got a double whammy of that one. I, I think for me, with my with my fatherhood situation or my father's, because uh, my dad, like I said, my mom and my dad, they separated when I was five. My dad was out of my life for a couple of years because he was dealing with a, a drug addiction, which he was able to kick and has been clean since I was eight, I think. Um, so like 30 years now. Um, but my mom immediately married right after that. Um, and my stepdad was a provider. Um, he worked like 60 plus hours. I think 60 was like the minimum amount of hours he worked. Um, so he was like never there. And when he was there, he was asleep. So I honestly like can't remember a meaningful conversation that we ever had, um, which, which for me now as an adult uh, was a struggle for me, right? Because all I really learned from him was hard work, uh, which is a good thing, right? Like I'm not, I'm not lazy by any means. I work my ass off, um, but, but I didn't learn like, 
how to be a man or I didn't have any of those like father son conversations from him. Um, and then with my mom and dad being split up and they having like this split custody where I got to see him like every other weekend or, you know, a couple of weeks when we had break in school. Um, it was tough, especially when I was playing sports, because his weekend would fall on the weekend we had a game. Right. And so it's like, all right, I'm not going to dad's house this weekend. So it'll be like, you know, months and months and months before I've seen him. Um, and so the struggle for me was like you guys talked about the, the the donuts and dad's thing. I just it wasn't a thing for me. Like I knew my I knew my stepdad wasn't going and my real dad lived a couple hours away. So he definitely wasn't going. So donuts for dad meant that I was going to be in class while everybody was eating donuts. And I was cool with it. Like I, I just accepted it early on and, and rocked with it. Um, but looking back at it now, like I wish because I do it with my daughters and I see how happy they are. And I'm like, man, I, I didn't know what I was missing. And I think that's a good thing because I could have, I would have held that against them, either one of them, right? Um, but having so much other trauma in my life, like I just was like, yeah, it could be worse, right? Like he, I could not have a dad, right? And I'm so I got two dude, two dudes that's like pieced together, making like a dad sandwich kind of thing, and whatever, I'm rocking with it, because um, <laughs> like my my homies didn't have dads, or dads was in jail, or dads got killed in front in front of them. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Like there was like real Absolutely. real tough situations where I was like. Oh, okay. You saw your dad get killed? All right. I saw my dad last weekend, so I'm going to stop complaining. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, so I didn't really have any of those those struggles um, because I, I just, I didn't allow myself to. Like, I just, I was, I was always kind of like, just be stronger than that. Um, don't, don't, uh, don't get emotional about it. And that, that's, that's kind of bit me in the butt as I've gotten older. And that's one of the things when my wife and I got together, she said, I, I didn't have no emotions because I'm kind of <laughs> nonchalant about everything. Cause like I said, everything could be worse. So if it ain't, if it ain't worse, it could, you know, it could be better. So I'm cool. Like I'm kind of always stay in the middle. I'm pretty even keel about everything. Um, Preaching to the choir. <laughs> you know what I mean? Did you know like, that's I, like I, your trauma response? It is. It is. And I'm, I, I'm dealing with it. Right. I'm better. I'm better now. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working on my emotional intelligence. So I'm doing my thing. But but for for a very long time, never too late. because of the community that I lived in, the, the, the area that I lived in, the things that I saw, the things that I was witness to, the things I was involved in, I was like, yo, I, I'm just going to be cool. Like being in the middle was safe because you got too high and you, you, you was in the way. Uh, you was too low. You was depressed. Like it was just, it just didn't make sense to me. So, I think the, I didn't have any struggles as a young man. As as I've gotten older, as I've I've had you know the relationship with my wife and my kids, and like struggling to overcome the the kind of trauma responses that I've had is is more difficult now. As a kid, I was just mm -hmm. you usually all of the all of your trauma that you experience as a child shows up in your love relationships that's that's where it gets discharged because this person across from me has agreed to be <laughs> my surrogate <laughs> so you know even even throughout the relationship childhood stuff is going to come up about mm, five six seven times a year and it's going to be <laughs> something that that i it's tr something that's trying to be healed and if I'm trying to get that part of me healed, then I have to have a spouse that understands that. And so what I focus on in the couples that I see is working on communications. 
you have to be able to give it voice because if you don't talk it out, you'll act it out. And if you act it out, we all know which which way that's going to go. Yeah. Hmm. Are you taking new patients? Because, or <laughs> I am. I, I do the life coach thing because I don't want to be accountable for the license. Licensees, you have to, they can come here and, and, and take my, my file cabinet and, and all of that stuff. And if you tell me you saw your uncle kill your brother five years ago and, and I write that down and they tracking him, they come here and take my stuff. So I don't go the license route, even though mm. I passed the exam. Mm. So <laughs> a lot of people come to me because I'm not going to write down something that's going to get you thrown in jail. Oh, okay. So gotcha. I, I get a lot of, get a lot of traffic. Like, oh, man. And he's down. And he's so, down. Like going to hey. confessional. Right? Yeah, I mean. Already. He won me over. I was going to say, you might want to just drop your information in the comments. Because right. <laughs> yeah. that is something. My, my partners and I, one of the things I love about our podcast is that we get to process some of our own stuff through some of our episode topics. So we have one, we had an episode about apology languages, about communication styles, about um, what else? Um, there's one that was like really really insightful and I cannot remember what it was but we've even done like our attachment styles like you know look that sort of thing up and um it's interesting seeing it in visual form where we are <laughs> like it is it is very interesting to be able to connect it's almost like math like ah oh, this is why yeah. even read it even, in you it. Know, like yeah, even like how on paper in some ways is like that. And, you know, even with, um, I don't know if you, if you, I've recently gotten to more like um, what you, astrology and whatnot, even how some of that compatibility makes sense. And I say all that to say, one of the things that we realized in our own like work um, are some of the things that you guys said, which is that the th things show up later on Um You'll think you're you'll think you're good. You'll think you you turned out pretty well given everything that you went through and you know, based on what you know can happen and whatever. And then you realize that you've like suppressed memories in a, in a random mm -hmm. conversation or exchange with somebody, or you'll um you'll realize that you have a a parent child dynamic in your relationship. And how that's probably not healthy or, you know, whatever. Like, there's a lot of things that um, people who listen to our show have written in and said, or we expect, like, we realize for ourselves just listening to each other in a different setting, even. Because mm -hmm. then it's like, wow, you, you decided to share something and be vulnerable in this setting, or maybe if we didn't do this show, if we didn't have this episode topic, we we might not have even ever talk, talked about this. How would mm -hmm. this have come up organically? Absolutely. You have people in, you know, talk about parental and child relationships, like fathers and, and kids. I remember very few topics that my dad talked to me about, and they were usually don't have sex with boys, um don't let boys touch you um it, it was very like and every now and then he would be goofy and silly and we probably had our most fun just watching cartoons or something like that 
there was very little emotional conversation there, very little vulnerability. And then you, people, people act two, two ways. Either you mimic what you saw or you do the opposite. Mm-hmm. Regardless, and sometimes the extreme you know, opposite is also not. Yeah. Good. Or you switch because people can change every 10 years. It's like, I just, I really wish that people would do what makes sense, which is like getting help. <laughs> like mm-hmm. everybody should just, you know, get, work your stuff out. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm, drop your info. Your, um, <laughs> how I you. If nothing else, it would be interesting <laughs> to have you on the show. Okay. Sure. Air some of our stuff out. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, if healing was easy, everyone would do it. That is definitely facts. But suffering is hard that. too, you know. I mean, it's the hard other route is just as hard. I was going to say, it's, but it's your comfort zone. Your yeah. suffering is your comfort. Yeah. Healing is uncomfortable. Yeah. If you're especially, yeah, you got to take a hard look at you, and that's the hardest thing for many people to do. What's also, I definitely appreciate the the privilege of being able to focus on my mental health and not be in survival mode anymore. But part of part of it is part of part of me is very, and this is something I thought about earlier when someone said something about being jealous. Um, was it you, John? Something yeah. about being jealous. Okay. So I used to think that too. I used to feel like that to an extent because my father had another child way after the fact, like probably over a decade after my sister and I were around. And um, he named him, you know, his junior. He, Cause my sister and I, you know, two girls, we were his first mm-hmm. kids. And a lot of men having that junior, having that boy is like an extra source of pride. He even tried to put his name into my name. Um, <laughs> and when he so his his son my brother i've only seen him twice i want to say um he was born on on my same birthday oh wow oh wow Wow. which is a very weird coincidence right wow so um one of the things i'm just giving an example of the emotional i would say like intelligence that my father displayed i wouldn't hear my from my dad for years and then one one day I got a picture. Well, I got a card from him on my birthday that says happy birthday. And it's a picture of him and his son, like smiling. <laughs> no money, no gift card, no wow. letter. You know, just a happy is, birthday from us, huh? That right. is that is my father. And and honestly, though, he stayed true to that. I've talked to family members like who've checked in on my sister and I, and have seen that I've heard from them that he stayed involved with my brother. I still don't have a relationship with my brother, but I'm, he's getting older now. And so now I'm, I'm considering reaching out. I just wasn't in, in, I just have no interest in um, giving my father access to me. I've, I know what I, I got the information that I needed and I just don't want to disrupt my peace in that way. Um, so I, but I would like to know my brother. So in, in that sense, what I'm, what I'm saying is it's interesting how I can be at one point in, in some ways I could be jealous that he decided to get it together. Right. But, and that's a very real feeling that that feeling is valid. 
It's, you know, it's not wrong to feel that way. But at the same time, I also appreciate a lot of the skill sets that I've developed because of having to survive in that way. Um, Cause I, my, one of my, one of my partners, well, both of my partners actually grew up with both of their parents in the home. Um, they are, their parents have been married for 30 plus years. Um, and they have, their families have like healthy dynamics too. Um, and yet they, they lack a lot of the resilience and like, um, resourcefulness that I developed because of being in survival mode. And, and to, to my mom's credit, I didn't realize how bad things were <laughs> when I was younger to the point where I was able to, in a lot of ways, thrive um, in that, in that environment. So it's, it's just interesting how, how things can turn out. So it's like, I, I could be upset. I, I do feel robbed of a two parent uh, household income. <laughs> yeah. um, that experience of not having a car loan, having somebody pay for my car insurance or my cell phone bill or pay for college or any of the things that, you know, sometimes, and then other times I'm like, you know, but some of my spirit and, and things that I developed as a result of, of experience are some of my favorite parts of me. So it's like. I feel that. You know what I mean? I that too. Like my, uh, my nephew thought the world of my dad because he knew, I guess, he knew all the best parts of him. And I felt a little jealous about that. I'm like, you know, to the rest of his main kids, we all thought he was a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> but us, uh, me growing up without him helped make me uh, better and more understanding man for my siblings. So like uh, I'm doing my best to help my brother and try to be there for him and try to have that relationship I didn't get with my dad, but also try to be the older brother I always wanted for him and try to uh, be the proper role model and guide for my little sisters whenever they need it. Hmm. Well, yeah. you know, one of the things you have to resolve my dad is half of who I am. <laughs> His DNA is, is, is in me. So mm-hmm. one of the things that I like to work on is, is, is navigating this part of myself, you know, especially if my mom, my mom used to talk shit about my dad all the time. He said, motherfucker, you don't pay no child support. You <laughs> and so what she was doing was demonizing half of who I am. Thank God for my grandfather who kind of, redeemed that half of who I am. Because if he hadn't, I don't know where I would be right now. And so navigating that requires you to learn how to love yourself. If I don't know how to love myself, I'll make you take care of me. Mm-hmm. And I'll I'll drag that into a relationship and I'll find a woman just like my mama. Mm-hmm. Did it thrice before I caught on to it. Oh Lord! Same bill, <laughs> same skin tone, same hair, same body. My brain goes, "Hey, let's get with this one, and maybe we can finish." Stay show. away. Stay away. Yeah, right. You hear it all the time. You hear it all the time. Tell me one. Marry your daddy. You ain't do nothing, man. Your mama. Boy, it's mm-hmm. true. I don't like it when nobody tell me they want. Don't tell me you. Don't tell me you need me. If you need me, that is a major turnoff. Absolutely. Don't well, need me. I want so, you to want me, not need me. 
have well, a question for you, Lynn. I've had people um, get upset about that. Me telling them, I don't need you. You don't want me to need you, is what I told them. You don't want that. You, I don't need you. you don't want that. I don't healthy. want to need you either. It's not because that creates that that dynamic, that parent child, those unhealthy that codependency. Yeah. All they do is create resentment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I was wondering, like, you know, with that, you, what you were explaining and what I've been hearing uh, is being hyper dependent. I'm sorry, hyper independent. Um, and not wanting someone to be needy, not wanting them to want you, uh, wanting to always be by yourself. And I see this a lot uh, with a lot of people that we work with when we have to connect them with some mental health is that they they want to be shut off and they're overachievers. They're overworking themselves and they're always too busy to care and they want to don't want to be with the family, don't want to be with a, a significant other. They're just like, I'm doing me over here. And, and then you hear the boasting, oh, I do all of, I do all of everything myself. I don't need nobody. I'm my own boss, you know, and I'm all of this stuff. And I wonder. <laughs> to a certain extent, because okay. my family is my background. Like, that is my everything. That is my support system. That is how I'm able to be where I'm at. Because yeah. I do have an 11-year-old daughter divorced with a douchebag. But that's a whole other <laughs> conversation for another day. <laughs> um, but he's a great father. We're just not good together. Yeah, but I wouldn't necessarily say that. And when I say like need me, I'm speaking on a previous relationship where an individual has not taken the time to deal with their trauma and yeah. bringing that baggage on to you and wanting you to fix that for them. Mm -hmm. It is draining. You. It's mentally, physically, emotionally draining, financially sometimes as well. And you can't. <laughs> I just feel like you have to take care of yourself before you try to connect with anyone else. I agree with that. Frustrating, yeah. you know, and that's what I meant by that. He always yeah, told me he you. need me. Don't need me, please, sir. <laughs> I, I, wanted to, I wanted to go back to, to something. I wanted to go back to something that Lynn said about you know knowing like half of yourself, right, and how that is how that affects you. And mm -hmm. I remember growing up, the thing that absolutely hurt me the most was how my mother would say, "You are just like your father." And I was like, I don't know what the hell that means. Mm -hmm. I don't know him. I don't know nothing about him. So when you say things, when she said things like that, it just made it worse because obviously she knew something, whatever she was demonizing, just like you said, Lynn, demonizing part of me. And I had no idea of who this person was, but I knew that apparently something in me was the bad part of him, right? right. If not, mm -hmm. if not all of me, because she just, I'm, she just said, I'm just like my father. Mm -hmm. So that right. was one of the things that I think hurt most often when I heard her say that. So right, right. She discharged the energy towards you, and and you know that, and then then you have to absorb. Here's what happens when you absorb that energy, and and you're you're a you know, you're not, you don't have, you're not strong enough. You're not ready. You absorb that energy. And I got clients who absorb that energy. And when you absorb energy, it manifests itself in several ways. Addictions. Uh, I got a client who, uh, who took, who absorbed it and, and into her body, literally. And, and, and she went this way. Mm -hmm. She absorbed all of that energy. And, and it wasn't until we did the thing where I do this little thing where we go back as your little self 
we go back as your big self and we go and confront these people who did this shit to you and you take your power back from them and and it isn't until then because you need to get closure mm-hmm. to that if you had a toxic parent you got to get closure to you ain't got to forgive them but you got to get closure so that you will not replicate this because if you don't get that closure you will pass that on to your kids the energy Absolutely. is present the energy is in the dna even though the father is long gone out the picture the energy is still there right. i agree because i definitely part of my uh my healing i had to watch that because i kind of displayed some very toxic stuff parenting my son that came from my mom because my dad he was he always like good time encourager that that was his energy but my mom she wasn't nothing to be messed with. And and I started turning into that, being a, a dad version of it. And it, it was real ugly. And um, not only did I get help, but I also uh, got help from my son, too, after a situation with his mom. And it, it was helpful. It was really helpful. So I know um, that we, just in our individual stories, have covered a lot of the reasons why our fathers weren't in our lives, um, but are there any other causes uh, that you guys think are playing a major factor in fractured black homes? I want to I want to go back to and, and a lot, I, I get into fights about this. This all started with the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the one that Martin Luther King fought so hard for, mm-hmm. because what that did was it gave access to black women what white women had been getting through world war one world war two world you know all these wars and stuff and they were getting broken off because the men weren't in the house and so once black women got access to that then you got child support welfare afdc WIC, food stamps section eight you did the only time you needed a man was to get pregnant thank you mm-hmm. i was waiting for somebody to bring Me that too. up <laughs> Listen. Exactly. and with that they created a system i work in education i used to teach history for years but they created a system that said that if the father was in the home you could not get those services exactly yeah i had welfare raids at two and three o'clock in the morning and if they saw his shoes or t-shirt or belt you got Mm -hmm. your benefits snatched Mm -hmm. i was in new New jersey when that was going down Mm -hmm. yeah 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 so I was, I was I was gonna say it, but Mr. Lynn hit it right on the head. That was already planted right there to start the broken home of the black community, right Absolutely. there. Yeah, prior outside of and and you know, so that, yeah, the yeah, the 1964 uh, Civil Rights Act. That's also the end of uh, segregation, too. Correct? Yes. Well, was it a little bit of time? Kind of like the end of Jim Crow, but it was still. I mean, it was it was never an end. It was just kind of it just faded. <laughs> okay. I saw that. Well, <laughs> well, at ish. Let's say ish. Right. Yeah, ish. ish. <laughs> On paper. Right. <laughs> Yeah, but and then like, let's not talk about how they just yeah. dropped the drugs in our community right. as well. Can we talk and about that? Started the war right. on drugs. Oh my gosh! Yeah, let's talk about it. I mean that that that's what we're talking about, right? So does yeah. it? So, so do we possibly maybe allude to it being systemic that the black nuclear family that there are no fathers and mothers together raising their children? Absolutely, and I, and I don't. I would not say that. I would not say that. 
I would be, I would say that there, two things could be true at the same time is what okay. I would say. I would say that there was definitely some intentionality with the ways that the black family structure was um, targeted. And I would definitely say that there's long lasting effects from just, just slavery alone did a lot to us as a people, mm -hmm. let alone what it did, like what it is that white violence, just whiteness period has done to us. Even when we got our things together out of nothing and, and everything like that. So I don't discredit the intentionality there and it being systemic in that way, but I would not say it's entirely that it's also um, because I mean, absentee father, um, Jesus, I was about to say absentee father is, um, <laughs> so basically, just absenteeism is something that's common across men, period. Uh, unfortunately, it's very common. Black men are actually among men more involved than that's a lot funny. of other men, that's so. Funny. It's just, it's a matter of socialization. So this is part of, this is the part when we get into more of like the patriarchy, you know, we get into more like the stereotypes because a lot of people talk about, you know, oh, the, the black family structure and whatnot has been broken up or destroyed by women not necessarily needing men. And that is part of it. That gave them an option. That gave them an out or way to self-sustain. But before that, what's the other option? A lot of women like our grandmas and great grandmas who stay with abusive partners, who stay with people who basically, like, when I look back at some of my relatives, I'm like, he was how old and she was how old? Mm -hmm. And he did what? I'm like, my grandma, again. for example, was married at 15. Right. Pregnant by 16. So it's like, I, I also want to make sure that we are examining the the human the humanness the humanity behind that too there's some people issues in there too that we gotta absolutely unpack the, outside of you know pointing the, the finger outside of it you yeah. know it's 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 very i agree with you and i think um one of the things that for me has always i, I keep going back to it in my family and it's so interesting is how close and i'm sure the same for most of you all how close your families are in terms of number of years away from slavery right like it hasn't been that long mm -hmm. like my grandmother was a sharecropper and so knowing that and and then knowing how the the black family was destroyed with slavery and what that then meant to creating more children in the black community it didn't age didn't matter when they were just trying to create more slaves for the plantation mm -hmm. right and then that carries over to you know I, i'm not saying that old men having young women is uh, is the way to, to go but i'm saying that was the reality that they knew yeah that was uh, the norm and back so then. Mm -hmm. and so that made that made sense in some of those cases right those and the, and i'm just saying i'm not saying that it, it made sense in reality, I'm saying that's what they knew. That was the norm. That was I the norm. I did what you meant. I was just <laughs> thinking about the fact that they was they were nasty. It's just nasty. <laughs> <laughs> I don't disagree. But we're talking about three. We're talking about three or four generations 
ago, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about very recent in our in our past where that was the norm. And mm-hmm. so to to uh-huh. so to see that then play out in in the way we live now. I mean, obviously things are changed now. You don't see as as many like very young, very old marriages. But what you do see is you see people who don't know how to be in a relationship together, um, and and do it appropriately so that they can work together for the benefit of the child that they decided to create. Right? Mm. Like it's a decision you made a decision. And what you forgot in that decision was to make sure that you were picking somebody who you could play the game with, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you, yeah. if you just saying like, oh, you know what, I'm just, you playing hopscotch and they playing Nintendo, like, and y'all playing two different games, but y'all trying to get together. And next thing you know, you're like, oh, we've been playing two different games, but in the end, we got this whole new situation that we got to, we got to deal with together and people aren't willing to deal with it because they're not on the same level right they playing yeah. different games they're doing different things no, we don't think they're far we be just trying to shoot the club up that's where we go that's where we go wrong because where, where the way i always looked at it was i look i gotta deal with this person for at least 18 years is this somebody who i want to be stuck dealing with Somebody you, who, all, you was doing all that before you, you were doing what you do? Nah. <laughs> I, I, I did. Over there, slide, brothers. <laughs> I did that. I, I definitely thought about that because I was like, look, I know what it's like when things don't go right. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. saw it in my house. I saw yeah. what my I saw my mother. I didn't necessarily see them all the time, but I could definitely, when my father did show up, it was at least 10 rounds in the house, like, all the time. I'm like, why are you even dealing with this dude if y'all y'all gonna do is fight? Like, yep. And that's what I that's what I heard through <clears> the walls. That's what I saw, you know, her kicking him out the house, like throwing him out, like literally throwing him out the house. I'm like, yo, the fact that y'all even laid down and made me blows my mind. The fact that y'all found time to stop fighting long enough to have sex to make me, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, but that's the nature of the oops baby. I mean, that's the you know, I'm, yeah. I'm a oops baby, so I wasn't playing, there was no plan for me, right? And, and you know, both of my parents drug all of their secrets into the relationship, and secrets is another thing that manifests in, in relationships. And, and the funny thing about secrets and family. There are no secrets in the family. It's conspiracy of silence. Nobody talk about it. Right. But if you don't talk about it, I swear that energy will go out. Uh, first question I ask is, which one is your kids acting out? Why? Well, well, but I didn't do it in front of them, Dad, and they couldn't possibly know. I'm like, no, no, they they know. Kids, children are intuitive as hell. You mm-hmm. you you think you're going? Oh, we don't argue in front of the kids. Yeah, but they know you argue because they, they come and see your face. They see it. Mm-hmm. You know what, Lynn? You you hitting on something because I told I told you I was the last of five. So my brother before me, he's the hellraiser out the five, but I'm the oops baby. So my parents' relationship was deteriorating at um, him after him, and I think he witnessed a lot of that. And then when I popped up as the oops baby, my mom didn't know she was pregnant with me until she was six months into the pregnancy. Wow. 
Yeah. And so my and it, it was kind of interesting. Like my dad, I told y'all he was always on the high corner. It was the reason he stayed up there and never came to the house. Yeah, yeah, I Because <laughs> my mama wasn't having it. Like when honestly, she was a spitfire and she can back up what she taught. But I think that you're absolutely right, just watching my family dynamic, you own something. And um John, just thinking of uh you know, you describing your background and listening to everybody else's background. It may it just clicked um, the reason why the black community uh, adores toxic relationships to an extent, at least between the millennials and a little bit of Gen Z. Like, uh, I lost my train of thought for a second. Yeah, but you're right. Them shows that keep coming out every couple of weeks, it feel like with like people throwing stuff in each other's faces. And I'm like, yo, this is ridiculous that we would even entertain this and the yeah. fact that the you know the dm you said you were the oops baby like your the, the relationship was deteriorating why are they still you know like i just don't it, it yeah i, I got, got, got you, you try to go with the last taste bag when has the answer <laughs> because abuse got associated with love mm. yeah i remember some old school women talking amongst themselves saying well if you don't beat your ass you don't love you yeah, I had a little that's girl. Still from my <laughs> your face. That's still that's your face, but that used to be said a lot. Real talk. My son, yeah. I told you, oh, 19, yeah. when he was in elementary, a little girl told him that, that he don't like her because he won't hit her. Wow. Yep, that was normalized when we were kids because I heard that same stuff. Wow. Mm-hmm. Dang. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's all right, but he's not letting me. What I heard was he's not letting me play my role. So my role mm. is Hellraiser. You know, I got to, you know, he's a nice guy, but I said, no, you need that. You need boring. Mm. You need somebody to take you out of your role and, and get into something else so that you can start the healing process. That mm. part. I don't think you're talking to me, Lynn, because a lot of people say, like, I'm too, like, hardcore and, like, you know, because I speak my mind, because I've learned when I've kept everything in, it just got so heavy and I was just, I couldn't take it. So that now I don't good. bite my tongue. I say how I feel when I want to say it, how I want to say it to whoever I want to say it. And I feel like that works for me. But I guess I gotta learn how to say it in a nice way. It works for you. It just doesn't work for anybody. You feel better than everybody else. Like, <laughs> like, damn, that was heavy. She just yeah. unloaded all that on me. Right? Like, yo, no, whoa, Lynn, yo. I want to know, am I mean? Like, people really say I'm mean because I'm just so like, ugh. Like, how can I tone that down so I can get me a man? <laughs> well, I, I mean, can I tell you what worked for me? Can I tell you what for me? Yes, because I had the same issue. My wife, when I met my wife, she was like, "You are an asshole." Like she told me I was an asshole to people. I was surprised that she, you know, said yes when I asked her to marry me. But what has worked for me is actually I take a beat now. I had to stop before I say anything because I was the type of person I still am, really type of person just tell people how I feel and how I feel is never what they need to hear in that moment. Right. Like I can, I can figure out a way to say it a little bit better or not say anything at all. And sometimes that means I just had to disconnect from people. Cause some people I can't be around like my, my, I don't think he's listening on here, but maybe it's my wife's husband, my sister-in-law's husband. 
can't be around him. Like, cause we just I get, if I if I'm around him, I'm gonna say something that he not gonna like, and then I still got so I got to figure out a way to not be around him. Like I just you know we got to work through um, it. Um, I'm I'm similar in that regard, but before I say something, I just stop and think: uh, Is it constructive? If it ain't, I just shut up. I'm a work in progress, y'all. I have a sharp tongue. And I'm going to go around to everybody once y'all are done. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so, first of all, uh, Pumpkin, first of all, don't give yourself that, that, that label, okay? I am not in the practice of telling Black women they need to make themselves smaller for anybody. So, who's someone who is someone who's earned your attention or your affection and whatnot should value your voice in the way that you use it. And you will, if they treat you appropriately, you will find ways. If they communicate their needs, you will find ways to soften naturally. But you should ne- you should not change, you know, how you operate for the benefit of other people to make yourself more digestible. I have not done it. I've never bitten my tongue and I have two partners. So that's bullshit. It's that is, that is men. That is, that is the patriarchy talking about what it is that you need to do as a woman to find a a mate. So um, aside from that, um, John, that is super interesting that you say that because one, your wife sounds great. Um, she she sounds like an amazing person. Yeah. I love her sense of humor already. Um, but two, I'm curious as to whether, is it for you, is it like a you feel yourself bursting? Because I have that issue. <laughs> so I'm curious. No, I, just, I, I just don't have a, I don't really have a, I can, I can have moments when I don't have a filter where I just yeah. have to tell people how I feel. And I, and that's why I had to take that beat because everybody doesn't need to know how I feel in that moment. Yes. Okay. So I wonder if that's the, I wonder if that's the tolerance thing. That's all. I was wondering if that was like, cause for me, it's like a, it's a tolerance thing. A lot of the time it's, it's my, yeah. You, like you said, if you take a breath or if you give yourself permission in that moment to just feel, feel your feelings, like recognize that the reason why you got so incensed is because something ain't quite healed, something's still there and you ain't like that they did that and reminded you of that just now. Cause trust me and my family, we are not a tactful bunch. Like I had to learn moving further South from my Philly family. And I spent summers in New York. I had to learn how to have conversations with people. And I still now, fortunately, I have this like, I guess, childlike or, you know, energetic energy about me. And so people respond a little bit better to me in person or when they can see my face um, more often and whatnot. But if you don't know me well, you're going to think I'm a, I'm a dick. You're going, you're going to think I'm a dick because I, yeah. it's, it's interesting because I, what, what I'm what I'm hearing is that so you've got this inner child, right? And if you haven't connected to that inner child, what will happen is y'all will swap places. Now your inner child is rebellious, ready to whoop everybody ass, fuck shit up, and then and just like children, after they fuck something up, 
then the adult part comes in and says, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. Oh my God. I am so sorry. That is not me. Well, it was you. You were just swapped out. Because this is your, your child self will defend the hell out of you. Yeah. Especially if you didn't have a defender. Every boy child, every girl child needs a defender. And when you don't have that growing up, that inner child will go, you know what? Fuck this motherfucker. You know what? I will show <laughs> ass you and all the rest of you motherfuckers. I mean, that's just like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? That's yeah. you you know you're in your child state. I, and I and I, I called my clients out. I'm like, oh, you just swapped. I can age regress back into my child state, mm-hmm. especially if you hit one of my triggers. You hit one of my triggers, hey, you're mm-hmm. going to get it. Right? Oh, most definitely. Yes. Mm. Right. So yeah. it's up to me to sense when I'm swapping and go, ah, 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 little boy, I got you. I got you, little boy, I got you. We're going to go a different route this time. Because your <laughs> inner child has to learn how to trust the adult in you. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't know this inner child, that is where all your shit's at. Your secrets, or uh, all of your abuse, all, all the stuff is, that is, the, that is the harbinger of all the things bad that has happened to you. Right there, and I just blame it on being a Gemini. Okay, let me hear you. I one of my lies at one point. This more balanced for a swap, I feel. yeah. But when I was 22, when I had my, my son, that's when I saw all the error that I was doing, and I, I immediately started, you know, getting to, getting to work at kind of keeping it down. Like I was saying earlier, before my queen spoke. I definitely was my mom's kid. Like I was a spitfire, like had an attitude, everything. And something happened when I became a father. I was like, I can't keep doing that. That ain't going to work. And, and and one of the sayings my dad left me with before leaving this earth, um, he used to always say a, a lot of these little sayings, little funny sayings. And one of them is somebody got a little tell the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that that was kind of like my thing going through those stages where I know I'm about to pop off. I'm like, hmm. Cause I know I'm gonna end up in the grave. Somebody got a little tell the story, and um, it started there. But you know what's funny? We are attracted to people who remind us of the parent that gave us the hardest time. Mm. Because you, your, your brain is trying to reconcile some shit. You're, there is a part of your brain that has no sense of time. Two years ago, twenty years ago, don't fucking matter, right? So it's like. You remind me, and and it'll start off real nice, and and you just all in love, got love hormones coming up. You don't defend yourself, you don't think straight until after you make the commitment, and then that's when all of it comes up and it comes out. You describe my ex girlfriend exactly. So with that being said, and just talking about closure and healing, at what point in your life and in your personal journey did you um, come to a point of forgiveness and closure with that relationship? I know for me, it's I'm still working through it with my father. Um, like I said, my mom passed at the end of 2020, and that relationship just isn't the same. She was literally my best friend. We talked every single day, several times a day, and I he doesn't feel fit that role. So now it's kind of like, where do you fit in my life? And trying to, but as far as forgiveness goes, like I said, he's always been there. He just wasn't there for me. 
So I and I I noticed that I and I don't do that to my children. I recognize that blatant favoritism <laughs> is obvious and kids pick up on that very early and they eternalize that. I my husband and I, we have three kids collectively. So I have an eight-year-old bonus daughter. I have a five-year-old son from a previous relationship and we have a two-year-old together. So that balance and constantly having to like let each child know that they're special, how they fit into our family too, because that's also very difficult um, with having stepchildren and them realizing like when we had Ryan, our two-year-old, it's like, okay, so who's this, (laughs) who's this brother? Like how I thought I was the only, you know, the only child here, whatever the case may be. So um, I find myself forgiving him as I parent because it's hard. (laughs) and I get it (laughs) so it's it's every day it's a work in progress for me but um it can open up the floor to everyone else um for me uh, um uh from eight to 19 I was carrying like 11 years of hate and anger and then once my dad died I um I owed it to myself to just say you know what I forgive you you know, I had to lift that weight off my back, and that was the beginning of my healing journey because I had to become better for me. I had to become uh, better for my little brother, who at the time was five. You know, I had to be the man he needed to see growing up, so he would have a positive, a positive role model. Role model. Is it is it weird that there was a period of time, probably after college, uh, but before I had kids, where I did not, I don't believe I thought about my father. Um, I didn't, I, I guess I had gotten to the point after college, probably before college, but after high school where it just didn't, his being around or not being around didn't affect me. Like it just didn't feel like it, it affected me at all during that, during that period of time. Um, I was, uh, I had gone years without him. And so I was now at a place where I was. I had, you know, learned how to tie a tie without him. I had learned how to drive without him. I had learned how to do all those milestone things that, you know, I'd had my first girlfriend, my first relationship without him. So all those milestone things that you typically ask your father, you would, many people would ask their father's advice on. I had gotten through those moments without him. So it wasn't until my first son was born and I realized that we had still all four grandparents alive that I wanted to have that connection for my son. I wanted him to have access to all four of his grandparents. Um, And it was that time that that it became real to me again, that I had a father, he was alive. I actually started then connecting with my siblings at that time as well. They were all adult adults. Um, and so all of us were having, you know, these, these moments of connection, but at the same time, I really still, even now <clears throat> have to let go um, of some of the nonsense that he is trying to, he, he tries to talk out of existence, like the things that he didn't do for me over the years or the times when he wasn't there. Like he tries to talk it up like it wasn't his fault or he, you know, didn't know whatever, all those things. And so it has actually led to us having still a very um, 
like stilted relationship. Like it just it it, it doesn't have room to go any further because I, I just can't have a conversation with him that doesn't end in a moment of him trying to talk his way out of a situation that happened, you know, X number of years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever. I'm just like, dude, just live in the moment. Don't try to tell me why you wasn't at my mm-hmm. 20th birthday or at my college graduation. Like you got grandkids here, focus on them. And so that has kind of even stopped my being able to to feel comfortable having a relationship with him now to the point where my son just celebrated his fifth birthday, my youngest. And after the birthday party, my wife was like, you didn't invite your father, did you? And I was like, you know what? Didn't even think about him. (laughs) Like, it didn't even cross my mind to invite him. Like, honestly. So... Well, I'll go next. Um, so for me, my father was present during my biggest milestones as far as high school graduation, graduation, um, graduating nursing school, the birth of my daughter, me getting married. That Now, that was the part I think was the hardest was I was getting married because I had a stepfather and a father. Mm-hmm. How? Who's going to walk me down the aisle? How I'm going to make this work? We did halfway through my stepdaughter would step stepfather would walk me and then my father would walk me the rest of the way. So I kind of had to incorporate that. So that's the time that I actually felt like, yeah, we really need to have this conversation. Um, so the whole boyfriend thing, um, John, my father is weird because my first boyfriend, his my father was dating his aunt. So my father knew the whole time I was in a relationship without me telling him. Wow. So that that was awkward. I just had to put that. Out there. <laughs> so the whole sex talk was like him talking to his homegirl, like, "Hey, I'm gonna need you to strap it up." This is how my father talking to me. I'm like, "Let's strap it up, me. Like, how we have sex? Like, what do I do?" So we didn't have those conversations. conversations but <laughs> me actually at at the wedding is when I realized, like, yo, like y'all really need to have this conversation. Because you now have a child, and I didn't have any grandparents. My mother's father passed away. His mother passed away. So I didn't have any grandparents except for my mother's mother. And that was it. Everybody else was gone. Um, so, and them, those two were close. So once my grandma passed, that's when it kind of let, went left. Um, and then, unfortunately, my dad passed away of cancer, actually, in my hospital where I actually was working. Wow. Um, so I had to hear a cold blue while I was working and finding out my dad, my father passed away. So, um, wow. you know, and his family wasn't very supportive. I don't know my father's family really like that, except for the ones that I went to school with that lived in the same city. So I, I can't really say I got closure on that part because I do want to know who... You know, my cousins are on my father's side, who his brothers and sisters are, why I am the way I am. Am I like my father? And I've never had opportunity to even have those questions asked because my father isn't no longer here with me. I'm getting emotional. Sorry, guys. Um, So I wasn't able to get those things that I'm looking for because he's not here anymore. Um, Even though he wasn't there for me the whole time, I do love my dad because we did eventually build that bond. And when we got to it, that's when he was taken away. So that's my piece. I'm going to stop now because I'm going to cry. So I'll turn off the mic. <laughs> Thank you uh, for sharing that with us. Thank yeah. you for that vulnerability. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I was gonna say I don't I don't have like closure. I mean, I don't I don't feel like again emotional whatever. I, I feel like I need <laughs> closure um, with with my dad or my step. Well, I you know what I take that back. I was on on Derek John's Dear Son podcast and he challenged me to to have a conversation with my father that I haven't yet had, but we have an appointment every Sunday from now on to just like spend time getting to know each other. Because somebody said something earlier about knowing their dad's favorite color, and I was like, oh shit, I don't know my dad's favorite color. Um, but yeah. but getting getting to know him because I was emotionally unavailable myself. Like I just didn't want to have nothing to do with it because it meant that I would be up or down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm gonna have those conversations. I don't think it's closure. I just want to know more about him. I just want to get to know him, right? I want to get to know this dude that my mom used to say I was just like um, that. I know, like I know him, but I don't know him. You know what Absolutely, I mean? Yeah. Uh, I don't know him intimately like i like i want my daughters to know me intimately you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um and then as far as my stepdad is concerned when him and my mom got divorced i was probably 22 so i haven't talked to my man in 16 years i reached out and he never like he never even answered the phone he never hit me back me and his daughters are still real close we still hang out and go to each other's events and i was just over there not too long ago for uh my my niece's birthday party and i went to my nephew's graduation, he wasn't there. And I, you know, so I don't know what that, what that situation is. I didn't do nothing to him. Maybe he's mad at me because of my mom, or maybe he's just doing what he's always done and just working his ass off and keeping his head down. Um, I don't know, but I do want to talk to him and just be like, yo, Hey, what's up, bro? How are you? How's life? How's, how's the job? You know? Um, but I don't think I'm looking for closure because on one side, I'm like, I don't really care. Um, but on the other hand, I'm like just being being open to the opportunity to talk and get to know him as well, right. um, because I know he had a, a similar situation. The, the, the time that we, we were together was like 12 years. He was married to my mom. We went to Florida to visit his mom and we're sitting out on the porch and just randomly, I guess this his dad, who he hadn't seen in like 30 something years, heard he was in town and pulled up and just was like, yo, what up, little Nick? And like he was like one of the homeboys. Like <laughs> and he's not he wasn't little, he's not a little dude at all. He's a, he's a giant, right? He's a giant and he's a full grown man at this time. And his dad hops out the car like he was a little kid. It was like, come over here and give your daddy a hug. And this is again a full grown man that he hasn't seen. It's like talking to him wow. like he's a kid. So I know I'm interested to understand just because I'm I'm so passionate about fatherhood to understand his fatherhood dynamic, just to understand fatherhood in a broader scheme, but closure wise, no, I don't, I don't care. Rod, I want to know more about your thoughts about fatherhood. I'm going to put my contact info in there only because I don't really get, the only person's perspective about fatherhood that I really get often is my brothers. Okay. Which is interesting because my my husband talked about our son specifically, but not Mm -hmm. fatherhood. The, mm-hmm. the big experience, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. And I talk about motherhood all the time. So you just brought up an interesting concept. Okay. Um, was somebody talking before this? No, it was, oh, it's, it's oh. all you, baby. Yeah, you can oh. have it. It's all you. Um, so y'all are just sharing so much stuff. I just, I really appreciate people being so vulnerable. Um, That's what oh. we're here for. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just it's really nice um, having some of these conversations. It's nice to know that it's happening outside of little silos and that strangers can have 
conversations like this organically in a way. Um, so with my father, I mean, it's like, I know he's not a terrible person. Like, I feel like I've recognized that forever ago. It's, um, I recognize that he was human in a lot of ways. I was the more, I was the, one of the parents I would check in on him and make sure I would, you know, fuss at him and say, wow. my number has not changed. Like, why have you not contacted me? You know, I shouldn't have to keep tabs on you. I shouldn't have to randomly check on you to realize or find out that you got married. Like, you know, you, you're currently at a, your wedding celebration or, you know, stuff like that. And after a while, I just let go. I let go of trying to do that because I, I kind of just felt like I guess I needed to meet him halfway. Um, so I think I've I've moved past that part of it a long time ago, recognizing that he was, you know, he had drug addiction. He was incarcerated at one point. He has own issues with his mom, who had uh, who was an alcoholic. Like I give my I I let I let my dad be human. As far as whether I want him to be a part of my life now. I don't feel like that would be necessary and it would it would feel more like me doing what I did previously than work. Yeah, you know, than like progress rather. Chasing behind him, if that makes sense. Um so I actually feel like it would be counterproductive to take him out again because I, I did that a lot as a child and it, that was probably more harmful in some ways than like the distance, if that if that makes sense. Um, I do think about him. I do wish him well. I am glad he's doing good for my uh, my brother. I do. I mostly feel, maybe this is the Taurus in me, but I mostly feel a way that I was robbed of a two parent like upbringing, like social economically, because I think about the ways my mom struggled uh financially because my father did not support us at all like he the bare minimum he had to pay for child support was seven dollars and 14 cents per child and he did not pay that so my dad was the type of guy that would quit a job to avoid paying child support so like we mostly had a, a relationship that was like per person it was more so like we talked but i didn't really see him as you know dad dad he was a big scary guy but it, at the same time it was like i didn't take him that seriously that if that makes sense which is the same dynamic i had with my stepfather um and they you know they haven't been together for a while either but very similar relationship even though they're very two different people my dad was a very serious tall stoic man my stepdad is a goofy silly clown basically he's still he's a big kid um but both of them i parented in a way both of them had substance abuse issues both of them were incarcerated so it's yeah. like i i feel at this point the best thing i can do is let them be great wh wherever they are send them positive you know vibes or whatever else mm -hmm. grieve the childhood that i wish i could have had and didn't have you know and try to give to my to my child in some ways but not feel like it's all on me to do all of the things um but at the same time i'm not gonna lose any sleep over it yesterday i saw my stepdad on um a chat with my brother i just so happened to video chat my brother his his dad was in the background um, and I knew his dad before he knew his dad because he's been around since I was like little. Um, 
And I was like, hey, have you seen the baby? Because I had my son with me on my on my lap. And he was, oh, yeah, I saw a picture. And that was it. He didn't turn around. He didn't come over. He didn't get excited. This is the, this is the first boy. This is the first grandchild um, that is a boy. Um, and this is his... This is his second grandchild, but we haven't seen each other or anything. So I'm just like, I can't continue to play, like to, to open myself up to Being irrational hurt. harm, like a irrational. I can't personalize that. That's just him. <laughs> it sucks. I'm gonna feel my feelings, but I, you know, I, I all I can do is feel my feelings and then move on with life. That's so. That's where I'm at. And I wouldn't, I don't know if I can call that forgiveness. It's just more so just closure, though. It is closure. Okay. For you. I have a weird relationship with forgiveness. And a lot of people say things about forgiveness when it comes to like their fathers and these parent relationships. And I'm like, I don't know if that's forgiveness. I still have Mm -hmm. the negative emotions there. I just don't let it rule me, I guess. You don't really have to forgive them, just forgive them for you so you can start healing from it. Mm. When people say that, that's always very confusing to me. I understand. <laughs> I understand what you mean. Like I understand what you're trying to like communicate because people have said mm-hmm. that before, but it never makes sense to me. And like it forgiveness in the ways that it's been described to me, especially I've mostly heard the word forgiveness under the realm of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um is it's almost always seems like it's more so about the other person. They say it's for you, but they have not explained to me how it is for me. Because if I have no problem with, because for forgiving somebody is like the technical definition is letting go of the negative emotion you have associated with that person is what, you know, people, people say that is for me, it's more so like, I can't help the fact that I have those negative emotions. I remember a negative thing that happened or an absence of something or whatever. But what I can do is give myself permission to feel how I feel about it and recognize the reality of the situation and ground myself in like, it happened, it sucked, it harmed you, but you are, and you're safe now. You're good, you know, that person, who, who knows, who knows, where that came from with my dad, like, or who knows where that came from with whoever. Um, I can't personalize it, but so much it's going to just, I don't find that productive. So I feel like forgiveness, the way it's always been described, it's been like more so about other people. And I'm I'm trying to think of the best way to do, to, people always make it seem like um, if you, haven't forgiven somebody you're like or like literally kind of making made a presentation almost more so about it um people make it seem like it's like you that person has a hold over you and it's like the experience was traumatizing so it it lasts it like the impact is there but does that mean that that person in particular has power over me you know if it makes you if it makes you mad anybody can piss you off can control you right yeah. If it makes you mad when you your blood pressure shoots up 40 points just from thinking about it, then no. That makes sense. No, and as for me, it's more so just like a, I mean, yeah, it happened. And I, I can't stay mad. I can't I used to be mad. I can't stay mad. I can't be there anymore. It just didn't, it'll burn you out. Yeah, but that that's forgiveness though. You're not you're relinquishing the control those things had over you. 
So you're forgiving them in a okay. sense. I've never heard of, I've never heard of that being the definition. So that, if that is a, I mean, that's a good way of explaining it. For forgiveness, if you, if you break down the word, is to give as before. Like, mm-hmm. like, I'm, like I'm just going to clean the slate and I'm, I'm going to treat you as you did you know, prior to this thing happening. Forgive. Forgive. I'm going to to give as before. And, and it, yeah, no, nah, I just can't. Some, I, I know I can't go back there with my father check. I, right before my father checked out, I cussed him out. I unloaded all 30 plus <laughs> whatever years it was. And, and it was like, nah, I, I felt good afterwards. Like, huh. And then I called up there and, and his his daughter uh, said, oh, yeah, well, you, your, your dad's dead now. Like, oh, really? Like, wow, sorry about that. <laughs> I mean, I didn't I didn't have any feelings about it, you know, and and it didn't really impact me. So mm-hmm. but what I did with this part of that half of me, I rewrote that part. OK, I scribed in what I wanted to be and not who he was. And that's what I was able to, to do for my daughter. It wasn't none of my father. It was it was the part that I scribe for myself. Um, and the DM, if you'd like to share your closure and forgive the story before, because I was yeah, sure. <laughs> so um, I definitely got closure with my dad. Um, he passed in two thousand and six, and in two thousand two, while my son was being born, my dad actually kicked the habit. And he began to clean up his life and actually get like a nine to five. And a lot of those people that was on the high corner with him smoking, he got them off of drugs as well and got them the help that they needed. So he had done a total 180 from what he was already involved in. And he was able to be there for my son and his birth. And um, while in that process, my dad and I found each other in our love language, which is music. Um, We both started playing the trumpet in high school. My granddad did, his father. Uh, who also played behind B.B. King. So music was the way that we got back to each other, as well as, you know, parenting. And he showed me how to be a father and me, you know, being a new dad as well. So it was really interesting uh, the last years of his life leading up to him, you know, passing away with lung cancer. But uh, we absolutely got, uh, you know, everything that I thought I wanted to get out, wanted to say uh, to him and, I even came out to him. So he's the first person I came out as gay to um, even before my mom or anyone else. So when I tell you, like, it, it was it was really amazing because I used to just go look at him and talk to him on the high corner to actually him giving me parenting advice on how to be the best version of myself for my son. So I I, I live with those memories with that's him. That's beautiful. And that's such a beautiful story to end on. <laughs> um, as far as forgiveness stories, I know I had mentioned my husband and his experience with his dad. And when Len had touched on rewriting that part of you, I, I honestly, as soon as I get off this, I'm about to like give him the biggest hug because <laughs> I feel, you know, a lot of empathy towards um, everything that he had gone through. But <clears throat> he's former military and he went to the army. And I feel like that was him trying to rewrite, you know, being a man and having that that example. So having that experience and being able to then be honestly an incredible husband. I mean, we all have healing to do, but he's able to step up and be something he never saw um, is, 
I mean, that's as a wife, that's all I can really ask for right. out of him and the rest we can do together. So um, right. <clears throat> that is beautiful. And then on New Year's Day, we sat down with his father and he just kind of opened up like tears, very emotional conversation where we were able to just sit there and it was mainly for him and obviously my husband, but I was there and his wife was there and we kind of all shared, opened up and had a great healing moment. So um, like I said, moving forward, all we really want is for him to be there for our children. They love their grandpa. They just bought a house with a playground in the backyard so that we can head out to Norfolk and, and play with them. So it's, it's a beautiful, it's a new day and it's a new chapter. And like for that to happen on New Year's Day, you know, was, it was one of those things where it's like, we're moving forward and it's a beautiful thing. Um, all right, with that being said, <laughs> we, is there anything that we had talked about that you guys would like to circle back? Any extra comments, questions, concerns? I don't want anyone to feel like they have something else on their heart. <laughs> I do want to say something real quick, and then I, um, I know we 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 talked about um, we talked a little bit about causes, right? And we talked about like mm -hmm. um, like civil rights, and we talked about some other things, and those are, are definitely very valid. And there was several things we talked about; they're all very valid. Um, with the with the guys that I work with, um, and maybe it's just my population, right? But a lot of their issue with with absenteeism or potential absenteeism is there's like transitions and trauma, right? Like you're transitioning, like if you think about your lifetime, transitioning from a child to uh, a teen, there's like this weird age where like middle schoolers like suck, right? Or like transitioning from being a, a teenager to being an adult, um, transitioning, like you just became a man. And a lot of dudes have kids really young. You just became a man. Now you're going to become a father. You don't even know how to be a man yet. Now you're taking on this other role and, and people shy away from it. It's like that change is is scary and it's like i'm not ready for that yet so i'm just not going to be there i'm not going to be i'm not ready to be that person and do say it all the time i'm not ready i'm not ready i'm not ready and the dudes would be 34 35 36 40 talking about i'm not ready like my brother is 42 and talking about he's not ready to have kids I'm like dog you ain't gonna have a choice pretty soon <laughs> um but like just just not being ready or being afraid of the potential change and and, and transition from one stage of life to another or being thrust into that because they didn't think it through like john did and they were just mm -hmm. like like the dm says shooting up the club now all of a sudden i gotta be an adult not only am i an adult now that's paying bills but now i gotta be responsible for the, at least the child's mouth and then it may be her mouth as well and i gotta put a roof over the head and there's all these things that come in and in nine months the dudes are like yo i can't do it i'm mm -hmm. out right and i'm just gonna bail out and you know, it's, 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 you know, mama's baby, papa's maybe. So I can, I can kind of escape a little bit and nobody's going to say nothing to me. It's a bunch of deadbeat dudes I can hang around with. That's going to be cool with it. Um, and I think that has a big, like a big part of it with the guys that I work with. Um, obviously there are those other things, right? My, my father was, you know, he was around till I was five, but then the drug situation got him too. Eventually it swept mm -hmm. him up. Right. Um, and then, like you said, you, you guys mentioned some of those other things that happened. But I think I wanted to say that earlier, but the conversation was too good for me to jump in. You know, <laughs> no. you know what I mean? Like, I didn't. Right. No. And that's why I that. always circle back at the end. I'm like, did anyone have a thought they wrote down? They <laughs> pinpointed. And I agree with that. Actually, um, my husband and I just found out that we're going to be um, an aunt and uncle from his 18 year old brother. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, we know he's not ready. There's just, mm-hmm. there's nothing about, I'm sorry, Chris, if you're listening, I'm sure you're not, mm-hmm. but we know he's not ready. Right. And um, that's scary because given the household that he comes from, there's also not a lot of support there either. So the next person is my husband. And um, we just found out this news. So it's kind of like gearing up to be there to support him because we know he's going to need it. Um, and yeah, so I get it. That is a major problem. And um, I grew up in Michigan and um, around um, like my sister and I were like the only two black people in my school. Um, but when you see that they're like white families specifically, um, they wait until they have their career. They wait until they're in their thirties to have their children. This is obviously generically speaking, but we don't, <laughs> you don't see that as much, mainly because a career, you know, it's, I can work, I can do what I need to do. Um, so like the idea of like going to school for eight years or whatever, to have that career is like, nah. So you just get out there and you're young. So I, I, I get that. Um, but I do want to thank every single one of you guys for joining us, for sharing your story, for opening up, for sharing your tears, your laughter, all of that. I greatly appreciate this. Um, next week, we will actually be talking about religion. So when um, Deles said that it, forgiveness is rooted in Christianity and that's the only way she's ever learned it, um, that's really, it touches on next week's topic for us. So we'll be talking about religion in the black community. Um, why, why is it so deep? We know that uh, like, especially Christianity, right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> slavery. So um, that is the topic for next week. We hope that you guys can join us. Honestly, if you want to hop on and be a guest, let us know. Um, But until next week, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay unapologetically black. Thank you guys again for joining us. Have a good one. Have a great night, everybody.